This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Well, as you heard in Bob's news, we have some new information on caregivers and caregiving that is especially critical in light of the crisis in long-term care and the COVID-19 pandemic. The Canadian Institute of Health Information measured the percentage of people newly admitted to long-term care who had similar health characteristics to those living at home with formal support. And they found that about one in nine newly admitted residents in long-term care could have been cared for at home. And when you add it all up, it represents more than 5,000 long-term care spaces across the country. I hope that gets people thinking. They also found that nearly all people who receive care at home have an informal caregiver. And as we've discussed many times, those caregivers save our healthcare system billions of dollars. But this analysis shows that more than one in three unpaid caregivers experience distress, which can include feelings of anger, depression, or the inability to continue with caring activities. Now, I really want to hear from you. Uh, Are you a caregiver? Are you frustrated because you can't get enough home care for yourself or for a loved one? You know, none of these findings are really a surprise. They do put it into perspective. And as I keep saying, you know, the the test is going to be, is this going to lead to any action? Anyway, numbers, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now I am going to bring in Miranda Ferrier, who's the president and founder of the Ontario Personal Support Worker Association, Amy Kupal, CEO of the Ontario Caregiver Association, and David Kravitz, uh, with me in studio is the first time I've seen a live person in the studio in I don't know how long, who is the vice president of Zoomer Media and the chief marketing officer at CARP. Hello, everyone. Hi, Libby. Hi, Libby. Let us start with Miranda. So uh, does any of this surprise you? One in nine could have been cared for at home. No, it does not surprise us at all. <laughs> I mean, Libby, you and I have had conversations about this over the years that You know, there's many people that are in long-term care that could have been kept home, but unfortunately, due to the shortage of personal support workers, the lack of of hours through the government, um, people are forced into long-term care facilities. And uh, Amy, uh, what about uh, the numbers on caregivers? I mean, again, you know, it's not a surprise that caregivers are in distress, informal caregivers. What do you make of this? Well, in Ontario, we're certainly seeing similar numbers compared to those national figures. Uh, Our recent research indicates that one in three caregivers say they're not coping well. And when caregivers are supporting someone with a mental health challenge, that number increases to more than half. So this certainly aligns with the kind of data that we're seeing and the input that we receive from caregivers about some of the challenges that they face. 
David? Well, I think it's it's very true to echo what uh, what our other guests have said. Um, there's another aspect to this that makes it even worse. And this is um, quoting research from the states, and I wonder if we found the same here, is that many caregivers are uh, affected on the job. So they're working and they're being a caregiver. And John Hancock Insurance did research into this. About 25% of caregivers said they had either turned down a promotion or a relocation that would have benefited their career because of the pressure of caregiving. So the cost to the economy is, it's just a cascade of of bad side effects of being a caregiver. You know, I don't think they measured that this time, no. but it has been measured before. And on that note, you know, just before we went to air, I, I received an email from a woman named Donna. And I mean, this, it's, it's a heartbreaking email. And Donna, thank you very much for that if you are listening. But, but listen to this story, which I think touches every point. So she says, We've been waiting since last November for a placement for my ex-husband. He has no one else and nothing. I'm it. We do have a PSW involved, but it isn't nearly enough. He's 71 years old, mobility challenged, uncontrolled diabetic, deaf, legally blind, and a partial amputee. He falls and is starting to suffer from memory loss, which poses a problem with his medications. I'm going to be 65 next birthday and have no issues to speak of health-wise. I also work 40 hours a week, and I'm finding it more difficult to lift him when he falls. I mean, Honestly, uh, this woman sounds like a saint. It's her ex-husband, um, though I've heard lots of stories like that. I, I, I mean, uh, Amy, um, what, what, what do you think of this story from Donna, this difficult story? Yeah, I mean, we hear about the kinds of uh, experiences that Donna is indicating from caregivers on a fairly regular basis in terms of First and foremost, the commitment that they make. And I really hear that in Donna's story in terms of being willing to do whatever it takes to care for the person that they're caring for. And that's a very common thing that we hear across all caregivers. Uh, but it underscores uh, another theme that we hear constantly, which is caregivers need that support in terms of the person that they're caring for, but for themselves as well. That's one of the reasons that uh, that we're focused on those kinds of supports for caregivers that give them what they need, whether that's peer support, whether that's information, uh, whether that's more specific mental health supports, because we've got to have enough, uh, you know, gas in the tank, so to speak, to be able to continue as a caregiver in these roles that we've committed to. Yeah. And Miranda, it's interesting. One of the things they measured was the, the number of hours that people who were distressed put in. And that, that's also a factor that the mental health and and dementia, yes, that as well. But if for a lot of people, it was the equivalent of a full-time job. It was 38 hours a week. Mm-hmm. And that amount of caregiving uh, was twice as much as those caregivers who did not feel distressed. Miranda? Yeah. You know, this is just, a, it's a heartbreaking um, situation. And like Amy just said, I mean, we echo same thought. Um, you know, personal support workers were only given a certain amount of time by the, the Lynn 
by a company if that's all you can afford. I mean, really what we're seeing here is the destruction of, of home care. Um, we need to have a national home care strategy in place, a provincial home care strategy in place, not only for to get rid of these max hours, by the way. I don't see why how, or how we can put hours on a person's life, right? Um, or how many baths they get a week. It always drives me uh, a little crazy on that front. But also look at how we can support the caregivers, but also how the personal support workers who are in these homes with these caregivers, helping them with their loved ones, how they can help and how they can support in that time that they're in the home. Well, uh, you know, whenever you mention this, or this is mentioned to the province, they they point out the amount of money they put in the last budget to increase home care. And I forget exactly what the amount was. It sounds like a big number, but it seems never enough. And it seems like, and, and the, you know, the federal government as well, they, they sort of keep dropping in, um, large amounts of money, but it's, it's not enough. And it, it seems to me that the balance of home care and, uh, institutional care is just wrong. And in order to address that balance, I mean, I can't even imagine the number that it would take, David. I think part of the problem, though, is that they're not looking at the system from the eyes or the point of view of the users. And so more money into a complex jigsaw puzzle that nobody can figure out. I thought it was instructive in this Kaihai report. One in nine admitted to long-term care could have been cared at home. Why do some enter long-term care early? The first reason they listed, difficulty navigating the healthcare system. I can't figure out what to do. I can't figure out where to get the resources I need. What other choice do I have? So they're lost in this incredibly complex maze. We've done research on this at CARP. And the number one problem our members had was, I don't know where to get what I think I need. Does it even exist? Because it's a new thing for people. I didn't need this before. Now I do. Now I confront this jungle of systems and silos and acronyms and services and forms. So I get lost easily. They've got to start with a blank slate and say, what does it look like going forward from the user point of view? There's no such culture within uh, the government whatsoever. You know what? That is an incredibly good point. <laughs> and, and there's something else, and this I know about anecdotally is. Yeah. even from uh, friends of mine with, with parents. And so you, it's a long waiting list. So you get on a waiting list to go into long-term care and the spot comes up and it's um, get yourself in here in, in however long, not very long, or you go back to the bottom of the list. Right. Right. Um, is, okay. is that an issue, um, Amy? Well, I think, you know, the previous comments underscore a number of the things that we've heard regularly from caregivers in terms of needing information and support. And that's one of the reasons that we have our 24-7 Ontario Caregiver Helpline, and people can find more information about that on our website at ontariocaregiver.ca. But I think the other thing that that underscores, and to your question, is the importance of involving the caregiver in transition planning and care planning. And this is really a critical component to a successful home care plan, as well as a successful transition to long-term care. 
what about uh, the again? You know, going to navigation, Miranda, um, and at the email for, that I got from Donna just now, she said the Lynn is looking after his placement. You know, as far as I know, aren't Lynn's supposed to be abolished? It, it's it's all. I mean, it's all a maze. Uh, how how big an issue is that? That there's just very poor coordination of care, and it's not reliable. You know. Yeah. Um, it really is. I mean, the Ontario health teams were being put in place prior to the pandemic. What happened? The pandemic, right, Libby? Mm-hmm. And, then, and then everything stalled kind of on that front. So now what we have is a mixture of Ontario health teams and the LHINs. Well, they, they um, just announced some new health teams. I don't know uh, exactly how up and running they are. Oh, I'm very familiar with that. But to also play into the fact of, you know, people looking to navigate the system between home care, public home care, private home care, uh, self-directed care, long-term care, retirement homes, assisted living. I could go on and on. And there really is not a great uh, system in place to help these individuals. And that creates a lot of anxiety. People wind up in long-term care faster, if it's the same what your other panelist said, because they don't know where else to go. We at the association here, we deal with this on a regular day. We receive in between 15 to 30 phone calls a day from families asking questions. What do I do? What's the difference between public versus private? Yeah, money. <laughs> Who pays? <laughs> yeah. um, I, I would like to give the numbers out again because I know that we have a considerable number of, of caregivers in our audience. And I'd like to hear about your experiences. And I bet they are worse with covid uh, I understand that home care is continuing during COVID, but um, how uh, is it even more unpredictable than it often is? Definitely want to hear from you. And uh, is there anything in this report that surprises you? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Uh, you know, again, uh, you know, the, I guess the, the bottom line question is what will it take to do something? I mean, what, what I am hearing is that we end up, you know, like it, the system is plugging holes, like, and there's just too many patches no, on it more right money, now. More money into a jungle just increases the, <laughs> the thick, you know, the size of the, the jungle. It's not going to help. It's not going to help what people really need. Okay, let's hear from Linda in Toronto. Hi, Linda. Oh, hi there. I just wanted to um, add to the current discussion. Um, Sometimes um, the Lynn coordinator um, plays a huge factor in um, the caregiving um, choices that are and are not available. Um, Sometimes they might be providing more assistance, and sometimes they are not. And it doesn't always necessarily mean on what you're actually uh, qualified to receive, but it's their own judgment, their own value systems in terms of, you know, perhaps it's also easier on them in terms of their job if they're going to have to manage a client with high complex needs. It might not necessarily be something that they're interested in. My own experiences is, is that, um, you know, uh, having had uh, my elderly parents and such is the coordinator, um, the first one was not very uh, helpful and I, I didn't understand why. Um, but it took a while to, to get onto that uh, understanding is that she was very insistent on placing my dad in a long-term care home. 
Um, and she just kind of said, look at him, look at him. She goes, how can you not put him in? And that was her last visit to my home. And I was very glad that she did not come back. Um, we did have a change. Um, however, it worked in the, the care system that we got a new Lynn coordinator that was, um, I didn't know until recently, was um, designated as a complex care coordinator, not a chronic care coordinator. And she was, uh, night and day, she said, it's up to you what you want to do with your dad, whether you want to keep him at home or put him in a long-term care. She didn't try to shove him into a nursing home because that would not have been what was best for him. But she supported us additionally at home. And I believe the um, Auditor General's report a couple years ago had indicated that many people they had interviewed didn't even realize once they were in long-term care that they even had options. Um, you know, um, that's, um, it's, it's true. You know, I guess to a certain extent, it's like everything else, you know, you get a good doctor or not such a good doctor or, or any, any other kind of service, but it's really, um, you know, I guess, uh, it's, it's not that cut and dried and you get the wrong person who, you know, isn't hearing you and, and that can make your situation even worse. Uh, thanks for sharing that. You know, I mean, you ultimately sorted it out, though, to your satisfaction. Um, my dad actually, we, he remained at home, um, and unfortunately, he he passed away recently. But sorry to hear uh, that. Thank you. But we have our our uh, we have our mom at home, and that's that's what's best for for us. And we needed support, you know, within the system. But it's it's very hard, and it's very disheartening, and it's very very easy to be taken advantage of. And I don't know. If there's anybody out there that can support people that don't have a voice, that, um, you know, um, can't advocate for themselves, it's a very, very scary and overwhelming system. Let, let me ask you this, Linda. Do you suffer from caregiver distress? <sighs> you know what? Um, this is such a huge, huge uh, topic. Uh, of course, I do. But the other factor is having uh, put my dad or even my mom in a nursing home would have killed me longer than me suffering here at home. And having, um, you know, all the reports that were released through the, you know, the army um, and everything that's going on now, I, I know I made the right decision. Um, you know, I suffered, you know, emotionally, physically, not being well, uh, financially, um, you know, uh, job loss. You know, I had a very successful career. Um, but I made that decision once my dad got sick. Who was going to take care of him? The system, I don't think, was built to, to take care of somebody like my, my dad. And I know now I made the right decision, but I, I know I paid, and I'm still paying a very heavy, heavy price. And now with the government, you know, giving out the CERB and all these, you know, benefits and such, maybe they should look at what they can do for, for caregivers and everything that people are going through now. This has kind of been my life as a caregiver, being stuck at home. Um, you know, the, the lockdown, this is a caregiver lockdown. Yeah. Um, Linda, you know, um, thank you so much for sharing your story and, and uh, what can I say? Um, my heart goes out to you and, and yeah, your, your, your story, unfortunately, is very common and we've got to see if we can get something done about it. Linda, thank you so thank much. You. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow. Wow. It's a microcosm of the whole thing, though, because your heart goes out to it. But look, look what happens. A new situation comes along he hasn't experienced before. Confusion. Who's advocating for me? 
complex system, luck of the draw on the Lynn coordinator or not, not aware of all the options. I mean, we're taking a difficult thing. Let's face it, aging, elderly relatives, loved ones, it's going to be difficult. Our system seems to be making it harder, not easier. Okay, you know, I I read you that email from from Donna taking care of her ex. Well, Donna is on the phone. Donna, hello. Hi. Thank you for calling. Yeah, I had to. It's... um I'm sorry. I'm just so upset. Oh, oh, uh, I can see why. It's frustrating. It's painful. It's he's abusive. It's just not good at all. And, and how are you managing taking care of him and working? It's difficult. I have a hundred kilometer commute daily for work. I'm doing 40 hours in a single person office. And then I go home and it's the house to look after, the lawn to cut, him to take care of, meals, laundry. I was, I had a respite visit on the weekend. I was supposed to have, I thought, great, I can get away. I got to my destination, and they called me and said, we can't fill the visit today. Oh, my God. I got home after the weekend. He hadn't taken any of his medication Saturday or Sunday, was telling me how awful he was feeling, but he hadn't taken his medication. You know, it's just, you, you think you've got these people for backup and that you can count on? So that you can get a break and can get away from it. How, and it just doesn't happen. How much home care are you supposed to get? Uh, 14 hours a week. I get um, roughly, I get two and a half Monday, two and a half on Friday. I'm supposed to have two five-hour respites Saturday and Sunday and an hour the rest of the days of the week. That's not very much. No, no, it's not. And not when you're my age and and his age with, uh, and you've seen the issues. I listed them. Yep. I mean, it. I mean, honestly, what I said is, it sounds like you're a bit of a saint there, taking care of an ex-husband like that. It's not even like it's uh, your beloved partner for your adult life. Uh, I mean, um, no, no, he has, like I said, nobody and nothing. That's such a tough situation, uh, uh, Amy. Yeah, it, it is really uh, such a tough situation that you're in, Donna. And I think it uh, underscores the kinds of things that caregivers need to reduce that distress that you're talking about in terms of access and supports for home care, respite, and supports for the caregiver. Because I think that's the other really important thing for Donna is how does she get the support that she needs? So certainly our peer support groups, some of our other resources that are specifically for the caregivers may be something um, that we can help you with, Donna, and look at also what other information on programs and services, including how they've been adapted during COVID-19, to see if there's anything else uh, that is available that is accessible for you. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe you can, uh, hook up with, with Amy, um, uh, after the show. I mean, uh, you know, it sounds like you also don't, 
don't have a lot of extra time on your hands. No, no, to, I to don't. To deal with it. No. Um, yeah, it's um, a, a tough situation. What's what's the story with his uh, impending long-term care placement? Um, apparently, he has moved up to number three on the list. My daughter intervened because of the abuse and called the Lynn, and uh, he magically went from number 10 to number three. Once I found out it was an abusive situation, but now it's sitting. It's been sitting for over a month. A month at number three. Um, well, um, Donna, I, I don't know what to say. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your story. And um, perhaps uh, Amy and her organization can, can figure something out to make things a little easier for you. And I wish you all the best. Thank you, Libby. Okay. Thanks, Donna. Okay, thank you. Okay, um, we are starting to run out of time. Uh, you know, the I don't I don't see solutions in here, Miranda. And when you when you look at this new report from Kai High, and and you know you can't fix what you don't measure. Yes, but do you see anything in there that indicates some type of solution? I think no. Unfortunately, I mean, I, it's, it's, I think what we need to look at is we need, we need to look at home care totally different than how we have been looking at it. The current government, past governments, they always seem to look at it as throwing money at the system. And that's not the answer. Um, because if we've a fixed, if we have a broken system, no amount of money is going to fix that. So we have to look at the actual system and fixing it and involving caregivers in that and taking input and allowing people to control their own care. Absolutely true. Absolutely right on. But there's no such mindset among the people that are trying to fix it. That's but they my... have that, the, you know, uh, who mentioned, Miranda, was it you that mentioned that, that self, self-directed care? Oh, yeah, and that's a nightmare, too, in itself, because their insurance is all going to run out by September 1st. The whole other story, Libby. Okay, um, well, we'll leave, care, it, we'll leave it, it then. It's a but terrible story. It's a terrible situation. I remember that was controversial when it came in as well. Absolutely. So, um, so, so basically, I, I think what I'm hearing here is that the whole system kind of has to be blown up and, and started again. And... Is there any hope, anyone, that this somehow might get sorted out in the, in the new model of the Ontario health teams? I can answer that, actually, really quickly, because yeah. we're involved with uh, the write-up surrounding home and community care and congregate care in relation to Bill 175. And we actually just read through it a few weeks ago. And uh, it's not looking bad. It's actually looking very promising. And one of the best things that, that the revisions that they're looking to make in this bill is to lift the ceiling on the amount of hours that somebody requires in a week for care, in home care. So instead of that 14-hour max, there wouldn't be a max. Mm-hmm. And, so to and us, it's it, very promising. A lot of it, families need that out of care. Well, yeah. And that model of kind of a care team, would that do anything to solve the navigation piece? I think so, because there'd be a direct um, kind of, you know, community in a community. So everyone in the, in the community would know where to go in order to obtain that information. Right now, like you said, there's the Ontario health teams, there's still the lens, and we still don't know what's going on. Hopefully they ramp up. Um, speed on getting the Ontario health teams completed and getting rid of the lens. 
uh, completely so that there is no more confusion. Okay. Um, anything anyone else wants to leave us with, Amy? I think it's really important to keep talking about this. And the Kaihai data, as I mentioned, aligns with the data that we've been gathering as well. Uh, if we look at unpaid caregivers, they are such a critical component of the healthcare system that we've got to find a way to, to ensure that they can continue to play that role. So that access to home care and those supports for caregivers are really, really key in whatever model uh, that evolves. David, even though you are staying for the next, <laughs> yeah. uh, for the next, well, I, I for the next segment. I com- completely endorse uh, what I've heard, but I also think somewhere in their system, somewhere in their planning, if it's only a little research team off to the side, someone's got to start with a blank piece of paper and look at this through Donna's lens. What does it look like to her when she takes this on? Rather than say, here's our system, how can we hopefully plug her in a little bit better? What is what would it look like from her point of view? And that encompasses navigation, that encompasses health teams, the 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 customer point of view, if you will, the patient point of view. They need to be able to put that lens on this. So far, I've seen um, I've been hanging around this issue for, as you know, does yeah. over a decade. Decades. Uh, <laughs> nobody. They don't bring that point of view. They bring the point of view of this is our system, and oh, uh, maybe you can fit in a little it's bit easier. It's difficult in in our health system. Change. It's it's very, it's revolutionary yeah. uh, for them, but uh, you Let's never hope know. Hope springs eternal. <laughs> That's right. Thank you so much, Miranda Ferrier, Amy Kupal, and David Kravitz. Thanks. Thank you. Free for All Friday is coming up tomorrow. So people, if you couldn't get through or if you have something more to say about this and whatever else happens between now and then, we're taking your calls. You can talk about whatever you want to talk about. And that is all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.